0: This is the Saturday Supplement. I'm Frank Lewis. Today from the Benedictine Abbey at Glenstall in Moreau in County Limerick. Guided by three Benedictine monks. Father Anthony Keane, a life full of deep thinking and trees. Father Luke McNamara, lecturer in sacred scripture. Joint editor of the Glenstall Companion to the Easter Vigil. And Brother Podrick McIntyre, native of Kenmare, chanter, chef. Before Glenstall, director of music in the Diocese of Kerry. At the Gate Lodge, Benedictine Hospitality. The story of the Abbey, a land formed by ice. In the Abbey Church, a day of prayer. The miracles of Four Abbey in County Westmead. The mission to improve religious art in Ireland. At the monastery reception, the cloister and monastic life. The cloister gardens. In the Icon Chapel, prayer paintings. The icon of the healing Christ. In the Abbey Library, it all started with a college dropout. Education became a cornerstone. Church influence on early Irish learning, education and science. The importance of music. The castle school. The monastery as the school of the Lord's service. Various communities. At the Terrace Garden, the dependence of Kitchen on Garden, an underground garden inspiring geothermal energy. The Collin Mass Rock, with its great Celtic cross. Abbey Aune, the Benedictine's return. The oak woodland. ...linking with Benedictine roots in Subiaco. Today's programme is recorded on September the 2nd. Your take on the story, the scholarship, the challenge. Write Frank Lewis, Mangerton Road, Muckras Killarney. Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com. Text 083 300 3300 or phone 066 7123666. We're now at the Terraced Garden the history, the garden and the kitchen, an underground garden inspiring geothermal energy. Anthony, am I right in thinking that the terraced and other gardens were attached to buildings that go back to the early 17th century?
1: George Stepney and others, in a succession of owners following the Cromwellian conquest, built a great house here called Capricorn House.
0: Podig, the relationship between the garden and the kitchen has always been very important here in Glenstall. Historically here, there has always been crops grown... Clenstall was, I suppose, a smaller
2: unit with maybe 20 to 30 monks and a school of maybe 60 or 70. So at one level, it was probably pretty self-sufficient in that regard. I'd heard, hear of stories of drills and drills of potatoes being over the years and turnips and that type of thing. Diet, of course, was pretty limited at one level as well. You know, we, we didn't have the type of diet we have today. Presently, Glensall is a big place. There are about 800 meals a day cooked between school, monastery, guests, visitors, etc. So, everything happens from one main kitchen. However, lots of things are grown in the garden which we use in the monastery, lots of fruits, lots of other things coming from the walled garden. It's south-facing, the soil is lovely, it's good growing soil, lettuces, radishes, spring onions. So, it doesn't provide self-sufficiency for us. It couldn't really, not in the modern day. Mm. But it produces lovely
3: extras for the table. Luke, why an underground garden here in Glenstall? The house here that uh, Father Anthony mentioned is under the tennis courts there. this was a 17th century house, and the terrace garden was built to go with that house. It's the oldest walled garden in Ireland, and that garden was south-facing to promote the growth of all sorts of plants but it also had a very good drainage system underneath. There's old stone drains and pipes and then when the Barringtons came in the early 19th century they set up a number of hothouses and they had piping underneath and they had a pump house where they would so they would heat the soil in these houses hothouses so they could grow tropical plants a significant amount of the terraced garden there was under glass in their time. So when we were digging and planting in the garden, we'd come across these arrays of pipes. We have a lake here, and we had the idea of putting piping down in the lake and taking the heat that comes from the sunshine and the daylight, and that radiates down into the water and down into the lake, to take that up from the pipes and up to the monastery. And it conducts up. We initially had a pumping system, but now we have a conduction system. So, basically, the heat goes into the piping here in the lake and it's conducted through the glycol up into the abbey. It's not pumped anymore. Before, there used to be a pumping system and it was quite inefficient, but now it works at a coefficient of 5.5 so that for every unit of energy you use in getting the energy to you, you get 5.5 times of energy out of it. And it actually... Provides heat for over a quarter of the monastery and campus now. It's made a great impact on our carbon footprint yeah. as well. Yeah. Was that something that was developed here? Or? Well, it's becoming more popular now. This uh, water source heat pump, they're becoming more popular, but we were favoured here by the presence of lakes. And we have capacity. We have a larger lake here. We would have capacity to go further. If we're doing new buildings, you'd put in underfloor heating, obviously, because it works best with that. And you you could do the same. The temperature comes up at about 16 degrees, 17 degrees. So you have just a little top up then to get it up to 19 or 20 degrees. We have a number of other green initiatives here. We have solar thermal panels on the Abbey, which provide water at a, a decent temperature for about six months of the year and then we have only a little bit to top up to get the water to for use of showers and so on and in, in parts of the this summer even though it was it wasn't a great summer there were days when the water was coming down at 65 degrees you don't need to heat it up anymore no, after that no. Anthony, there've been various helpers as you said
0: earlier in the maintenance and development of the gardens here
1: and many visitors suddenly find themselves uh, treated as employees and told what to do, and they do it very often and often willingly. Yeah. Because it's, it's a great privilege, in fact, to, to be involved in such productive work, we tell them. <laughs>
0: You've had partnerships with people like Antashka and various voluntary that's, and other groups. That's right,
1: yes, they were involved in the restoration of the gardens some 30 years ago, and we deal with the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh. For our conifer conservation programme, and they gather up the lost and the stray all over the world that are heading for extinction, and bring them to this safe monastery for second-best ex situ conservation, yeah. so that we will have the genetic stocks. I left.
0: know they've done something similar with the gardens in Derrynan, the Chilean plants from South America, again via Edinburgh. The Glensdale Garden link with 1916 and the war for independence.
1: There was a subsequent deed there in the Lady Garden of plaques for various heroes of 1916, Kent, Connolly, and many others, although one ignorant person said, I thought they were the names of railway stations, but I didn't know what what it was all about. I think there were trees planted for every every one of the executed leaders.
0: If it weren't for the War for Independence, Luke, this property
3: might not have become available. Possibly not. It was the departure of the Barringtons that made it become free. And they they departed because of an incident during... Well, sort of. Their daughter was shot in what's presumed to have been a, a case of mistaken identity. She was coming back from an outing with one of the RIC officers and apparently she was wearing his cap in the car and she was shot and she was their only daughter the family were obviously traumatized by that loss but they didn't leave for another three or four years after yeah. that she is also commemorated along with the signatories of the proclamation of independence in the lady garden so there's a tree to her and a plaque to her also winnie was her name we also have a lot of other trees planted in that general area which have been for just as part of the afforestation of the, of the grounds Indeed. So we have quite a variety of specimen trees in that area. So we would have various sort of birches, oak and conifers and trying to maintain the atmosphere that we have here of the arboretum in that particular zone.
0: Patrick, as a chef, is there an example of what you've learned from the Glensdale Gardens? Fresh is best, there is no doubt about
2: it. From the garden to the plate, you can't beat it. Growing your
1: own there's no doubt about it. It's so important. The wholesomeness, the freshness of it. Anthony, when everyone is planting trees, one can always consider fruit trees. And it's amazing how easy a little plum tree uh, dug in the ground in three minutes will produce an abundance of fruit in due season. And same for figs and damsons.
0: Isn't the most amazing example, though, when you go into a supermarket now and you discover that the apples are from Chile and from South Africa... In a country that must be one of the most suitable for growing apples in the world. Exactly,
1: that's a very good point. Yes, the apple is very native to Ireland, really, very much part. Oak and apple go well well together. Apple on the edges, of course, of the forest.
3: One might say also that there's an aspect of taste. Having something very fresh arriving on your plate is wonderful uh, from the taste point of view. But there's also the health point of view. We are much, much better off having... Just natural ingredients, natural food arriving into us uh, just fresh. Mm. It, it makes a huge difference because we're eating far too much processed food.
0: Another recommendation for the life? The most recent to die
2: was 97. The guy before that was 104. In the last year and a half, I think five or six of our community went on to the greater reward. Most of them were above 90. One was above 100. My own little learning that I've learned in I'm here 14 years now is regularity. There's an awful lot to be said for it. It puts a, an even temperament on the body. That's not t- to say that there are days that one you know works really physically hard, or that there are those days that aren't aren't as physical. But there's an evenness to the temperament of the life that I think is good for the body. Waking early, going to bed early, regular meals, the regularity, that balance that Benedict is key to Benedict's life. Half the companies of the world are paying gigantic amounts of money to bring people in to talk about balance. We're living it here. It isn't really costing us. Can we go on. <laughs>
4: The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.
5: In our walk
0: around Glensdall Abbey, we're now in the Icon Chapel. Anthony... What is the history of the Icon Chapel here in Glenstone?
1: It's all based not on reality, but on dreams, or maybe that is the more fundamental reality. And a lady in Switzerland, Joa Balendas, began having dreams about an Irish monastery in which there were icons. And right enough, there were, because Sir Osmond Esmond had collected them. He was an Irish Catholic boy who, at a young age, became fascinated with orthodoxy. And when he grew up in the 1920s, or even before that, before the Great War, he visited Russia many times, and he met many fugitives after the war and he assembled this collection of very beautiful icons and gave them to his sister ein who in the 1950s gave them to us and we did little with them until we were contacted from switzerland by this lady or who her representatives admittedly one was an old boy of glenstraw he may have channeled the holy spirit in the right direction and she helped us build this church Jeremy Williams the great architect was the overall designer and then we went to Cork and Kerry and we found James Scanlon and if you look at the earth look at the ground you see the beautiful colours the beautiful azure colours in the concrete which is a reflection of the glories of heaven this is all James's work and most splendor of all are these four evangelists in the four roundels, the four great animals of the apocalypse. The eagle with his claw, the lion with his sharp teeth, the winged man which is Matthew and then over here this wonderful beast which is Luke the ox.
0: Luke tell me about the icon of the healing Christ.
3: He is in a classic poise with his right hand raised with three fingers joined to represent the trinity and then two other fingers joined to represent the human and divine natures of christ so he's giving the orthodox blessing that's his right hand and in his left hand he holds open the gospel book where it says come to me all you who labor and are overburdened and i will give you rest shoulder my yoke and learn from me for i am gentle and humble of heart yes my yoke is easy and my burden light that's Matthew 11:28 and following. So that is a frequent text that is used in, in the icons of Christ and sometimes also of the saints. But interestingly here, this icon, we thought it was a 19th century icon. And five years ago we had restorers in and they discovered that there was a layer underneath. And so they cleaned the 19th century layer away. And then they cleaned an 18th century layer away and then they cleaned a 17th century layer away. This is now the 16th century layer, and there is a layer beneath, but they don't want to go any further because, as you can see, it becomes more piecemeal as they go. it goes further. There's the marks of burning from people lighting candles before the icon and then accidentally burning it, and there's also the soot damage. So as those events happened, the people who were praying with this icon updated it, as it were, to cover up the, the lacunae caused by the burning or mm. by the soot. And it's interesting that the style of the icon changed very much. It became much more Western in the 19th century. had a solid white halo with no markings in it. Whereas here we're back to the original or closer to the to the earlier icon style, where we have the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And then you have the cross in it as well. And you will also see the haon, the I am, I am, who I am, the, the name of God in the halo. The eyes of the icon are very wide open and all the other senses, the ears, the nose and the mouth are very small because when one prays before an icon, one is praying with one's eyes and one doesn't pray to the icon but through the icon. The icon is a way of focusing on Christ. And as much as we are gazing upon Christ, it's really christ is gazing upon us so there is that moment of communion With the communion we have through the chant and through other means through art mm-hmm. here we have communion through the icon the one thing that this work of the restorers does say to us is that this icon is not something that was just put in a corner and left it is something that is a witness to 500 years of continuous prayer so that's something very precious and we still pray here every day with this icon
0: did. This is a gallery like no other that you've ever seen. I mean, the way the lighting is done, the way the paintings are set into frames. Podig, it's a whole sensory experience. When the
2: community before my time had decided to put this collection on show, they could very easily have decided to take one of the grand rooms and put them on the walls and put in captions under them and charge you £5 to get in and give you your brochure and let you through the gallery to view... But instead, the decision was taken, or maybe directed by whatever, whoever, to replace them in this space where they would feel at home, this miniature Orthodox church. So the whole experience, the architecture of the space, the lighting, which ideally should be candles, but of course it can't because of danger, That so was, in fact, it was James's brother, Jack, I think, who got the little car lamps and put them in little copper pipes to give that sense. But the whole space is sensory. I find this place draws me in to a space that I'm not totally familiar with, but it's an important place
1: to be, uncharted, unmapped within myself. Anthony, we're talking here about image. Now, St. Basil says that if you you are asked, who do you think you are, St. Basil will sympathize with you. He says it's a very difficult, impossible question mm. because he said the soul is like the eye and the eye can see the hand and it can see the foot but it cannot see itself. So you who are made in God's image have uh, your soul cannot see itself unless of course it look at God and there it sees the creator of the world, the lover of all things existent and that is who you are. So if you take this icon here of Saint Nicholas, Nicholas was very kind when he was on earth he was always giving presents and that lifetime of giving was a phenomenon within the church he was a bright shining image of god's love so after his death on earth people remembered this image of god that shone out through nicholas and that is what they're communicating here in this big icon of saint nicholas the youth's
0: look of gold and very strong primary colors
3: the gold leaf is to symbolize the heavens so we're, we're speaking about God and his saints in the heavens. So we're in this in-between space where we are privileged in a sense. This is a space created through the icons of prayer. And it's interesting, the icons, we think of the icons as an image on a piece of wood. But in actual fact, the icons create a space between the icon and the viewer. It's an in its invitational space. It's not simply the icon, but it's the space that is created between you and the icon mm. that becomes that locus of encounter. The icon often has a curvature and the point of the curvature is about two feet out from it. So mm. you're being addressed by the icon when you come into that space mm. and you're accepting to enter into dialogue in prayer.
0: Patrick,
2: the iconographer is the one who writes Their experience of their encounter as they fast, as they reflect, as they pray, and as they read. And the number of weeks or months it may take before they actually write that paint on the gessoed board. It's that, in a sense, God given expression of something that this iconographer or painter, to use a common word, Mm -hmm. has gone through. So there's a connection with something beyond the image as well as a person's journey into that. And in some sense, we do experience that. The whole journey has gone on behind it. And, uh,
1: I would like to say that in God, being personal is not being incommunicable. When you look at the icon of St. Nicholas, yeah. it may seem to block the view of the sanctuary within, but in fact, these icons are like windows to which the glory of the next world shines. And we too are permeable to that glory. So they're not hiding anything, they're actually revealing it like a prism reveals the colour of light. So these icons reveal the splendour of heaven.
0: And if now the Glenstall monks are going to sing Conditor Alme Siderum.
5: Alme <laughs> Redemptor exaudi am a cui condolens interitum am a condolent, I am a condolent, I am a condolent, I am a Regressus er Virgilis matris clausur ma, forti det må trist klausor la. Kojus fordi potentia er, ha. nu the record power of the great power of in tempore, hostis of the Laus power of the great power of patria in cycle
4: The Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.
5: In the Benedictine
0: Glensdale Abbey in Murrow, County Limerick, guided by three Benedictine monks. Today's programme is recorded on September the 2nd. Your take on the story, the scholarship, the challenge. Write Frank Lewis, Mangerton Road, Muckris Killarney. Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com. Text 083 300 3300 or phone 066 7123666. Now in the school, talking about its history, the monastery as the school of the Lord's Service and the school's various communities, the awesomely dominating gate towers, the keep, the front face, power, wealth, the place that might have become the residence of the Irish Governor General post-independence. Anthony, how does it fit with a community who all take a vow of poverty?
1: Well, we all sympathise with the government of Ireland, who, being much more clever than we, refused the offer, knowing how expensive it would be to maintain. We're working our hands bare to the bone to try and keep this place. It's a monument. It was built, I'd say, not for Barrington's comfort, but more as an embellishment on the land. So if it is a splendid place and it's really a 19th century Disneyland, in fact, but there's some humour in it and some invocation of romantic, wonderful Middle Ages, which must have been horrible to live through, but they seem rather splendid in retrospect, we don't consider it a luxury, I would say. Padig
2: Benedict calls his monastery a school of the Lord's service. What he's really saying is this is the place you're going to learn to be the best version of yourself with his rule and with the giftedness of oneself and the life that is being presented in the monastery that each monk day on day week on week year after year Runs more freely in that journey. And the way we are then is how we do everything else. So it's not the fact that I bake bread is important, it's the fact that I do that with a monastic attitude. That transferred into the teaching of second level kids from age 12 to 17 or 18 how to become who you were created to be through music, through art, through science, through geography, through the woodlands that exist here,
0: through sport. A community living a very disciplined life that begins at 5.40 in the morning, a day dominated by prayer where silence is important. Look, how does that fit with running a school with some 230 teenage boys and so many lay staff as well?
3: One of the challenges of being a monk is living in community with people of different personalities. We come to the community with a vocation, but in a sense, God chooses the community that we enter. We don't choose the community that we enter and all the different personalities that we have to live with. God has chosen those for us and there's a lot of shaping and humility in that, that we have to adapt ourselves to one another and learn to grow together. And the school is an extension of that and in fact, dealing with teenage boys of various temperaments, going through various challenges in teenage years and puberty and beyond, that also can be very challenging and demanding of one's energy and Creativity in terms of how, how do you respond to this or that. There are various tricks, techniques that we, we can have from the Rule of Benedict that tells us that we need to respect the voice of the youngest. We need to be open to the, their input in, in decisions. Just last year, we had a Sustainable Energy Committee and we did an Energy Master Plan here with, in connection with the SEAI, involving students from the school and monks and staff. The students wrote in the report, they spoke about we we in the Glenstall community referring to the school community, the staff and the monks mm. as one. And I thought that was something special and that in no way diminishes the, the monastic community. It's a sign that we are open to the others and to grow w- together with them. Mm. And there is this notion that growth is something that only happens between 12 and 18. But having 12 to 18 year olds with us causes us to grow continuously because we have to grow and adapt with them. And it's not simply... You know, children come from various walks of life, various life situations. That demands adaptation on our part. Mm. It also demands adaptation on their part. But it's a joint journey that we must make together. And we must listen to the voice of the Lord in each other, and not simply in ourselves.
1: Glenstall Castle. It's in a very interesting situation beside the mountains of Schlieffelum, the abode of the goddess Evla, and it looks out over the golden veil on Chir, Fa, Evla, Illa, all under her beneficence, down to the Galchi mountains. And I, many of us, would regard this belief in the goddess Avla as a premonition of divine wisdom, Sancta Sophia, which is a celebration of the beauty of creation, because she is also the goddess of the sun, the goddess of light and warmth and creativity.
0: And all that fits in with the later Christian expression here.
1: Yes, totally. The Irish mythology was possibly contributed to by monks so you have Christ-like figures like Lug or Louis Louis-Lawfather Other, is the liberator god who re- releases the crops for harvest in autumn hence the celebrations of Lunasa so his myth was possibly shaped by the monks with Christ in mind so he is part of our Old Testament our pre-revelation of God's incarnation of Christ's coming on earth
0: how to become free of attachments and choose only God
1: I think one might distinguish between attachments which are crippling and engagements which are creative. There's a lovely line in the Upanishads, that by which we perceive kisses, perfumes, sounds, music of love, that is the Lord who is, that is who you are. So if one appreciates not just the beauty of beautiful things, but the very way in which we appreciate them, if we understand that our perception is God-given then these beautiful things become the source of celebration rather than enslavement.
0: Luke, you, you talked about the different communities here, the, the monks, the students, the staff, the families, all separate but all together. It must demand very careful management.
3: There's a large population here on site. There's about, between staff, monks and students, there's almost 380. And laterally, we've now got, I think, six Ukrainians who are working with us and who have been welcomed into the community as well. So I think while there could be challenges, I think the ethos of the place, which is one of, you know, allowing the the strong something to strive for and encouraging the weak lest they become discouraged, that's a line from St Benedict's Rule. Mm. That's very much the philosophy here.
0: Anthony, a key reason for the school was to improve the standard of church music in Ireland. How well has that succeeded?
1: I think it's worked quite well the boys do sing very beautifully at times and wonderfully although there is the story of a brass band that was put together for a confirmation in somewhere in another city yeah. quite far away and the bishop came for confirmation and the they tried a wonderful polyphonic piece at the offertory, which collapsed spectacularly and going out from the school and church the bishop turned to his assistant saying it's amazing how these young children after only three weeks practice have achieved what many modern musicians have aspired to for a lifetime
3: (laughs) we would have a strong tradition of music as brother podrick has spoken about from our chant which we sing in the church four times a day music is a huge part of the monk's life and also of the school boy's life some of the early monks used to go around at a time before the council. They used to go and teach Gregorian chant in schools. Father Winock used to go around in the early years. But in our time, there is very much a very strong presence of music in the school. A very active choir, a large number of playing instruments, and it's something that really gives balance to children growing up. They find it very relaxing. They can integrate it into their whole personality. I find that it really helps many of them to become the person they're meant to become. And we have some splendid musicians who've graduated and done wonderful compositions around the country and beyond.
5: Very good. We'll move on.
4: The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime
5: in the
0: Benedictine glensdale Abbey in Murrow, County Limerick, guided by three Benedictine monks now at the front gate we we'll talk about Benedictine hospitality and habitation of this site and the formation of the landscape. In chapter 53 of the rule, the reception of guests, St. Benedict says, all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ for he himself will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Proper honour must be shown to all, especially to those who share our faith and to pilgrims. Padre? There are a lot of people who
2: come to the monastery who are in really difficult situations. Some people come as a last resort And they may not be well themselves. They may be coming from very difficult family, domestic situations. And sometimes it is quite hard to stand and to listen as somebody pours forth everything at you. And this is what, in a sense, Benedict asks us to do when he says, listen with the ear of your heart. He's asking you to listen with that most tender part of yourself and to listen to what's not even being said. But what I found is that, particularly if people are staying in the guest house for a few days, once they've got it out of their system, there's a release. And sometimes when people spend that time here, they kind of adapt to the calm and the peace, and they leave in a very different way. There's a wonderful word when you're coming up the avenue to the castle. I mean, one of the things about Glenstall is all is not what it seems. You think you're approaching this... Norman Castle, which is only mock anyway, but that word "packs" over the gate, which is how we receive you as a guest. But our wish also is that when you leave after being here, that you are more peaceful in yourself.
0: Densdale Abbey was built in the eighteen thirties as a castle in twelfth-century style for the Barrington family. It has a great gate and a massive drum tower that resembles the one at Windsor Castle. Anthony, driving up to the huge drum tower, you'd expect to be met by a battalion of male-clad Norman soldiers riding on horseback, rather than a community of monks.
1: It is perhaps justifiable to celebrate any sign of the past as a symbol of the journey we have made and we can pray to God who from our mother's arms has led us on the way. So if you like to take a nationalist point of view, the epic survival of the Irish people through dungeon fire and sword, expropriation and so on, all finally crowned in our present day when we win rugby and other things. Um, Hopefully. We're not perfect, but things are perhaps a little bit easier and better now. Yeah.
0: Do you not think, though, that the, the appearance, this looks like wealth and power and strength rather than humility and simplicity and poverty and prayer.
1: Well, we are the poor, humble people who are tending and keeping this castle together and ma- making it work and uh, uh, using it for hospitality and gathering people in yeah. to hear Luke lecture on scripture and Pauldrick lecture on whatever the spirit tells him to talk on.
0: <laughs> Luke, already I think Anthony's probably covered this, the, the ice made the land here in Gensdall
3: what it is today. It certainly did. It's a very fertile plain. It's and uh, uh, leading down into the Golden Vale, so it has been a place where people have come and come to live for a long time. And we actually had a dig on the on the front avenue there, where we had a ring fort discovered. People in Kerry know the stake fort, the similar type habitation of a similar period. Then there was the Mulryan Tower House just here behind us which was also a later 12th century building. After that, we had the arrival of the Cromwellians and and all their subsequent building on Capricorn House. So we've had here a succession of landowners right up until the Barrington period. No one is to speak or
0: associate with guests unless they are bidden. However, if a monk meets or sees guests, they are to greet them humbly. The monk asks for a blessing and continues on their way, explaining that they're not allowed to speak with a guest.
2: One of the things one must remember about the rule of St. Benedict is when it was written, and he was obviously clearly writing out of particular experience as well, so clearly there was some person in his community couldn't shut up, and one who wouldn't. I suppose it's a guard against talking too much. There is something about our lifestyle that is silent, that... Space is a word that keeps coming up. We've been all mentioned it a lot today. Space that doesn't get crowded out by things. Space that doesn't get crowded out by belongings. Space that doesn't get crowded out by talk or chat. So if you were to sit in my pocket for the day, from the moment I get up in the morning to the moment I go to bed at night, you probably wouldn't find me talking too much. So going around in the place during the day, I'm doing my tasks, or I'm at prayer, or I'm having a particular conversation with somebody like I am now with you. But there's very little chatter goes on, except when you need to chat. Mm-hmm. So it, it isn't constant chatter, noise, if you want to put it like that. It's safeguarding that space in a sense for God to spark something within you or to open that space for God that's ultimately what's happening.
0: Anthony when you came here from Carrick and Shannon County Leitrim 58 years ago was that a difficulty?
1: No I always loved the place from the first time and the welcome I received and the beauty of the place and the love of learning and the old things a lot of things you could touch and a lot of those things have stayed the same over the last 60 years it's amazing how little has changed here really yes. there was something very genuine about the stone and the wood and everything
0: so silence wasn't a problem
1: silence was never a problem no, I always did like silence I must say have you a comment on that
3: the silence is is golden is that's one of the things that people say out in the world but it's, I would say, essential for monastic life to have moments of silence in the day because it's through those moments that the, that the Spirit can work. And um, it works through all times, but they're propitious or special moments for the Spirit to work. Mm. And it's like um, a husband and wife. You have to make time for conversation to make a marriage work. And likewise, for a monk, one has to make time for God. And you, one does that in a particular way through said prayers and, and community prayers and so on but also through making time to listen, to hear, through silence
0: and now to take us out to break and the 10 o'clock news, Glensdall monks are going to sing Attende Domine
5: Attende Domine Cui a ten day Domine i Sing attend. Jay,
4: Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.
0: Welcome back. On our walk around the Benedictine Abbey in Glenstall, guided by monks, Father Anthony Keen, who's a specialist in the whole area of forestry, particularly keen on the conifers Father Luke McNamara, lecturer in sacred scripture, author of My Chosen Instrument, the characterization of Paul in Acts 758 to 1541, and joint editor of the Glen Companion to the Easter Vigil, and brother Padrig MacIntyre, a chanter at the, the liturgy, a manager in the kitchen, and in charge of visiting groups and uh, reflection days. A native of Kenmare, before Glenstall, Stall was a director of music at the Diocese of Kerry and at the cathedral. Today's programme is recorded on September the 2nd. Your take on the story, the scholarship, the challenge. Write Frank Lewis, Mangerton Road, Muckras Killarney. Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com. Text 083 300 3300 or 4066 Now, outside the front door of the church, a place of prayer, the Benedictine Day, the, the history of Benedictines in Ireland, artwork here in the church. Patrick Glinstall is a place of prayer. Most people, when they talk about prayer or think
2: about prayer, are talking about prayers. And that's true to a point. It is an activity. And it happens here for monks a number of times a day. We gather in the church, we recite or we sing. And this is something of our worship of God. But they, in a sense for us here, are the scaffolding because all of our life or our time here has... If we understand prayer as something with a connection with God, then all of our life here has something to do with that. And Benedict even prescribes it before you take on a task, you should pray to God to direct you through it. So that there's something of the, what I'll say, the official prayers of the day hold
0: the rest of the day in some sort of a framework. The first Benedictines in Ireland are said to have established an abbey on the rock of Cashel between 1074 and 1100
1: anthony the establishment of monasticism in ireland and the huge difficulty that many of the pagans had with Christianity, with, with its limitations. You know how Arsene went off to Tirlanogue and came back to find Ireland very changed, and he fell off his horse and touched the earth and became an old man of 300 years' age, and they brought him to St. Patrick, and St. Patrick said, see what, what a wonderful place Ireland has now become. All the beautiful girls like Siobhan here have joined the convents, and they've become nuns. <laughs> From every hill yeah. you have the music of bells ringing and Arsheen would reply sweeter by far was the sound of Fionn's hunting horn as we chased the deer down the slopes of Ben Ather or Hoth Hill and so that conflict between what is church and organized in prayer and what is splendor of god's creation what is the love shown through creation has always been in ireland so what i'm saying is that monastic life possibly is pre-christian certainly in india it is there were monks in near mumbai going way back into times bc so this time this idea of searching for wisdom is a very ancient thing, searching for the divine wisdom, the eternal wisdom is his name, which is, of course, Christ. And Saint Justin said that many of these ancient people were Christians. He said Socrates, for example, was a Christian because he sought the Logos, or the Word of God, and found it.
0: One of the key reasons why the Archbishop of Cashel, Dr. Harty, in 1927 was so keen to establish a Benedictine Abbey here in Glenstall was to improve the standard of religious art in Ireland. Luke, the windows in the church here are an example of that.
3: Well, not just the windows in the church, but also the statues in the church, the Stations of the Cross, the vessels we use at the altar. In the
0: Rule of St. Benedict, written in the early 6th century, we hear of eight prayer periods. Paddy... I wonder, did they had time for
2: much else? That's just me with my very practical mind. I think it's quite possible in, in a lot of the earlier monasteries that not everybody was in church all of the time. I don't think they actually could have been. But I think translating that into where we are today, it, it goes back to what I said earlier, that all of one's day is held in that prayer time. How do you run a school in a monastery? We've had made practical adjustments here over the years, so matins and lauds are combined for us in the morning, 25 to 7. It's about 50 minutes mass around the middle of the day. Vespers, 6 o'clock in the evening. Compline at 25 to 9 at night. They are the holders of the prayer times of the day, and we are all there all of the time when we're here.
0: Luke, what you were doing here from an art point of view was showing excellence, showing good example hoping that others would use art in the same sort of way to produce I mean a lot of the early statutory in Ireland was was awful
3: it wasn't for exhibition purposes really it was really to pray to yeah. pray and to, to stimulate prayer it may have uh, stimulated others to, to imitate or to produce artwork elsewhere but the primary purpose was for prayer and even the act of creating this artwork was a prayer in itself for the artists
0: but if you have excellent art you're more likely to do that than you are if, if, if it's a, oh, a sort of fairly looking yeah
3: no no good art is, 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 is a wonderful way to connect in prayer and it's a very, very valuable, and we're fortunate that we have artists both in the musical level and at the, arti- and at the visual arts level here in the community. And that there is a tendency in all monasteries to attract such people, because monasteries are a place, as we said, of beauty, and that's what a, that's what draws, in a sense, people who are artistic and have inspiration to come here. Patrick, take me through a typical day here in Glendal.
2: I suppose it happens individually for many and they attach themselves to the general structure but you could say that most people are stirring before 6 in the morning getting into the stillness of the day official prayer is at 25 to 7 in the morning morning matins lauds that takes about 50 minutes there's a period of silence for 20 25 minutes after that after which the angelus goes the angelus in a sense and announces the end of the silence most people will take breakfast sometime within the next half an hour to three quarters of an hour in silence people just collect their own and sit in the refectory and have it the working day for most people starts around nine o'clock until midday mass at ten past twelve followed by lunch a lot of people will take a siesta afterwards and I personally will say I take near the guts of three quarters of an hour actually solid sleep after that if I don't have it it doesn't work well for me. By two o'clock in the day most people are back at some form of activity or work. Often people take a cup of tea later around four o'clock. The day kind of quietens about five-ish. People are reading I suppose moving into that quieter part of the day the work of the day is over. Six o'clock is Vespers lasts about half an hour sung in Latin. It's a quiet time after that until about ten past seven. Supper is quarter past seven lasts about 20 minutes the recreation period where people go to the to the recre or the common room community room after that until about half eight 25 to nine is Compline, which is finished at nine o'clock most people are in their bed by 10 o'clock after Compline is silence that can be the busiest day that god will ever give you in your life but it all happens in those proportioned and appropriate ways prayer meal work silence reflection and one tends not to spill into the other.
1: Anthony, are you hopeful for the future? Very hopeful for the future, which doesn't mean that everything has to stay the same. I'm very hopeful because it'll all work out, whether God wants us dead or alive, we'll be doing God's will. So I'd, I'm not imposing any uh, a thousand-year Reich like obligation on God's providence... But I'm very hopeful for the future, and I certainly see in Ireland, if you take a more cosy view, say of the church and just the Irish people, I see if practice, religious practice should collapse totally or be very diminished, I see the Holy Spirit still working in great, great and wonderful ways, and one can think the vessel is broken and the fragrant oil of the Spirit has been poured out and is manifest everywhere.
0: So you you don't feel the kind of doom and gloom that is so often expressed in relation to the decreasing numbers of of priests, the decreasing numbers of religious, the closing of convents and so on.
1: Well, thankfully, I'm not in charge of the fabric of the church. and I don't have to find nuns for every convent or priests for every seminary. It's all part of God's will. And the whole of life, all of earth is a symphony based upon God's design. And you and I are not the writers of the score. So all we have to do is sit back. It's a bit like dolphins in the sea. When a great tsunami wave comes, it's very powerful. It lifts everyone and brings them along. And all the dolphin can do is just play on the wave and, and know that it'll lead to another place. So, so that's I see the present moment as a tsunami wave charging through time it's all part of God's plan we don't know where it's going I remember being in Lyon once and getting on a train and I, I, as we do in each I went up to the head of the train to speak to the driver and to my horror when I got there there was no driver and there we were <laughs> flicking tracks going in and out of arches and tunnels and there was no driver I thought it was a wonderful model of the world's economy and his and politics today it's just going at increasing speed and no one seems to be in charge. So obviously the Lord is in charge and uh, it's a mystery beyond our our understanding, but one to be enjoyed. Paddy. We had our
2: annual retreat here in early August and the retreat giver gave me one line that I, I just took as very strong. He said, all that's being asked of you as a monk at any moment is to be that monk at that moment.
4: The Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit Virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.
0: Walking around Glenstall Abbey, now from the Lefano Bridge looking down towards the Capricorn Mass Rock with its great Celtic cross, also hearing of Abbey Oni, the Benedictine's return, the flora and fauna of the oak woodland, linking with the most historic Benedictine site of Subiaco in central Italy. Anthony, this Benedictine monastery could be said to be following the tradition of the 13th century Cistercian Abbey just south of Glenstall.
1: Yes, indeed, the great monastery of Abbeyone, which was founded by the great butler, the royal butler, who was Theobald Fitzwalter Butler. He was a great man for the drink, and he used to serve the king and take a a few tons of wine off every ship that came into these islands. So that was Mm Abbeyone, and we are within the grounds of that abbey, which included this wonderful Glen, Capricorn Glen. And it was one of the cracks which formed in the earth when the Atlantic Ocean opened up, when America and Europe became separate about 100 million years ago. And we nearly lost that field there to America, but we held on to that, and it broke west of the cliffs of Moher instead.
0: Going back to Abionia, up to 1563, and then everything was disrupted, horribly, terribly, suddenly.
1: Henry VIII needed money for wars and he wrecked so many beautiful abbeys in England and Ireland and Wales and Scotland as well for nothing, you know, just melted the gold, bought weapons and eventually it ended up in the hands of the O'Grady's who leased the land, leased Capricullen House here. And their fame and their connections with Kerry comes from their lovely daughter Mary who met a young man at a dance in Limerick in about 1680, and she, she said, but you must come out to Denstall to visit us, or to Capricullen, I suppose she said, and he did, that was young Lord Stavardale, or Ilchester, and the two used to sit on a long, low branch of a tree. Now, Mr O'Grady saw what was happening, and he decided that, while it was love seemed very lovely and cheerful, the Ilchester's had vast estates in England, even outshone the O'Grady's wealth. So he said, this cannot be it. They would never accept my Mary as their daughter-in-law. So he wrote to Lord Ilchester Senior saying, his son had got into a bit of a scrape in Limerick, as many people do, and had better be called home. So that was done, and the two lovers pined away, miserable. And then Ilchester wrote to O'Grady saying that a friend of his, Colonel Prendergast, would be visiting Ireland soon and would drop in to communicate his lordship's gratitude for having helped them out in that difficult time. So... Prendergast arrived at the house just there, just below those gardens, Mm -hmm. and was well-received, and he met Mary, and they had dinner together. And then, after Mary withdrew, they raised the subject, and O'Grady said, well, of course, I know Ilchester would never accept my Mary as his daughter-in-law. And Prendergast said, well, I'm not too sure of that. And O'Grady said, I'm certain he wouldn't. Whereupon Prendergast said, well, I'm certain he would because I am Lord Ilchester. Her great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter came to visit us three years ago. They live in great splendour. They're the only people in England allowed to rear swans for their table, although she finds them a little bit gamey. And, of course, the important
2: Kerry connection is that Mary O'Grady, Ilchester's fifth daughter, the Lady Louisa, married into the Lansdowne family and thus began that line. So, in a sense... Can Mayor and Kerry and Lixna, the estates of the Lansdownes, the Petty Fitzmorrises, have a connection here in Capricullen House, in the townland of Capricullen, which is part of Glenstall Abbey?
0: And Luke, as well as all of that, y- you have a specimen oak tree and oak woodland remnants here in Glenstall.
3: We have primeval oak forest here, much like you have in Kerry, and within that oak forest in particular, the Killarney fern.
1: God has blessed America with a wonderful people and most magnificent trees. And the Americans very cleverly arrange their mountains to run north-south rather than running east-west the way we have the Pyrenees and the Alps. That means that pulsating glaciations in Europe result in trees getting mashed on the north-facing slopes of these mountains. They can't migrate or send out refugee communities Mm. during glaciations. So it's been quite right in the reforestation of Ireland that we should perform humankind's... Destined role as seed bearers, just like the, to rival the squirrels yeah. and bring the wonderful trees of North America, like the Douglas fir and the Sequoia sempervirens, the coast redwood, and the mountain redwood, Sequoia dendron giganteum. Yeah. Yeah. On Earth today, we have some 62,000 broad-leaved trees. We'll call them angiosperms, that is, trees with seeds in a vessel. Whereas of the conifers or the gymnosperms, that is with seeds in, in a cone, which are not contained in a vessel but just simply slip in between the scales, we only have 800. God. So we're involved here in a conifer conservation programme in cooperation with the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh who send people out, much as I'd love to, leave the monastery and to go wandering in South America. They do all that for us yeah. and they bring us back endangered samples of species
0: you're 58 years working with the woodlands here in glenstall in subiaco in central italy saint benedict at the age of 14 around 494 retired from the world and lived for three years in a cave here he developed the concepts and organization of the Benedictine order benedict lived in a time
2: not unlike our own where structure was crumbling the roman empire was falling apart And Benedict felt, knew, saw something deeper within himself, but couldn't find it within the society in which he was living. And he disappeared to a cave. And I suppose the cave is that metaphor for so much more. That journey into a place, into a space but ultimately that journey into himself out of which so much more came and I suppose that's true of all of us, the journey in means that what comes out is authentic and real and I mean glenstall isn't a cave but it does have something of that space where people, not only monks I might add, the monks are the vowed ones who live here to as it were professionally do this job, whatever sort of fist we make of it But it contains something of the space within this nature, within the buildings, within the framework of time, of archaeology, uh, the whole lot. That space that gives people the opportunity to delve into themselves, to go that bit further. And I think it's fair to say that in the last couple of years, more and more people are finding the need for that, the need for that space to stop, to breathe, to smell, to read, to pray to connect with something beyond themselves. Some are not particularly looking for God, but they might find God in that look. So in a sense, Glen 2,000 years away and
0: many, many miles from Subiaco, it's the same thing. It's that space. Actually, the Capricorn Mass Rock here on the grounds of the Abbey, now marked by a great Celtic cross, the Mass Rock was the altar where Mass was celebrated during penal times, 1690s to 1750s. Patrick Silviaco and the links with St Benedict uh, with also linked with Roman emperors and popes with with huge celebration and terrible devastation i think that it
2: survived from those years from the 500s in a sense that people have decided that this was a good way to live a good way to live together a good way to come to god a good way to explore the self in all its manifestations And I suppose because through the centuries people believed that or felt called to that by God, Europe was transformed. You could say in a sense that the empire declined and the monasteries took over or Christianity took over, but Christianity very much in the form of monastic movement. So the Benedictines were the first, I suppose, big move into Europe, followed by the Cistercians. And there is no doubt that there was a transformation, agricultural, artistic, cultural, academic, educational, Mm. through people who fundamentally said yes to God and decided to go with it and let their whole being be explored and blossom and grow. And it is what happens when you say yes. All sorts of wonderful things do happen.
3: We came here in 1927. We came at the end of the year in 1927, just after Christmas, before the new year and the annals speak of them having the first meal with and one of the belgians going out to shoot a rabbit and that's what they had for their supper <laughs> so it was pretty much going out there on mission going out into mission territory the unknown for those belgians mm. this was a completely unknown country they had not a word of english mm. it was really an extraordinary adventure for them and that was an inspiration to us as well in later years that these men came with no knowledge really of the country or its customs and adapt it and insert themselves into the life of the place.
2: Monks, to use that term, marry the monastery
3: that they are
2: in. They take the vow of stability to that place. So in a sense, their journey into God or with God is with this group of people in this place, however it is. So you don't move. You don't move. Listen is the first word in the rule of Saint Benedict. So if you come to us as a visitor, it's not up to me to be chattering to you. It's up to me to provide the space for you to say whatever you want rather than me thinking of the next thing I should say
0: to you. People round about come to Mass. You also have people who come to do retreats here or people come just to, to be in a quiet place. Or most fundamentally they come through the front gate
2: and walk the avenues and experience the beauty that you're experiencing today, the trees,
0: the woodland, the, the spaces. Yeah. And now the Glensdale monks are going to sing.
5: Veri deus sanctissime, vilucidum centrum poni, candore mi gisilego, augens de corolumine, quartode elifalea, solis rotam tossic to Lord ministra, is trust in her father was What was fell in me signum, on tell Illumina, is sad What's the and let the world be
4: Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. On our walk
0: around the Benedictine Abbey in Glenstall, now the history of Benedictine learning. Father Anthony, it was all started some 1,500 years ago by a college dropout. And yet, from the very earliest times, education was a cornerstone of Benedictine foundations.
1: Instead of studying for his exams, he said, life is too short for that. Let's talk about love and delight, and let's discover the hidden meaning behind things. Instead of just learning things off by rote or according to what's required, let's first of all discover the deeper mystery in things. Perhaps I would venture to say that if Benedictine learning has a characteristic it is that openness to the goodness and delight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. In everything whether it be science, uh, whether it be seismology or chemistry or botany, there is that fundamental delight.
0: Much of the foundation of Irish learning, education, science as we know it goes back to the
3: early Irish monks The Benedictines were very innovative in managing the land and they brought in new irrigation techniques, they brought in techniques for cultivating crops, they brought in new crops. For instance, the Abbey of Gerpoint, which was a Cistercian foundation, but inspired by the rule of Benedict, where we see new agricultural techniques coming into play. Uh, Now, Bernard wasn't totally satisfied with the choice of diet for his monks because they were brewing a lot of the grain that they had and they were using that grain to nourish themselves because there was limited amount of food. But Bernard wanted his monks not to drink, and uh, he asked Malachy to stop them. The monks actually went on strike in Gerpoint. But that was sorted out afterwards when Malachy explained that the Irish needed their grub, their food, and their nourishment, and an odd joke.
0: Benedictines are associated with Gregorian chant. The
2: fundamental is how do we express text? How do we pray? And from the very beginnings, the Psalms particularly have been the core element of the worship of all religious groups, really. But that musical expression, it is probably
0: the finest and easiest, I would say, way of expressing the text. Mark Tierney, writing of the origins of early days of Glenstall, quotes a letter from Archbishop Harty in what amounted to his charter for Glenstall, and I quote, The permission extends to an arts and crafts school which could be a great boon to ecclesiastical art in Ireland, and also a higher school of general studies in which the pension of boys would be sufficiently high to make the school very select, unquote.
3: Education is a right for everybody, and it's important But what was intended in the foundation of the school at the beginning was a school that would work in harmony with the Abbey and form one community. And basically, there's the community of the school and the Abbey working together, learning together, growing together. And that has to be of a certain size. If it were too big, it would destroy the dynamic. Of course, the notion of select may have the connotation of being elitist. Mm. That was not what was intended and has never been It was always intended to be as open as possible to as wide a group as possible. And we have had a number of scholars over many decades now in the school, but as a way of increasing the reach of the school to wider groups. So it is really important. And even newer Irish that have come, we would have had some Ukrainian presence in the school as well. We make an effort to reach out to wider groups. We also have a lot of groups that come here of school-going age who come for retreats and things. The school is a place of leisure. That's what the word means. Monastic leisure. And that space, that rest, allows us to grow and to grow and recognise the beauty of one another and of God and to have that harmony. Getting
2: people to sing, uh, I think it's possible. There are some parts of chant that, of course, they're Very simple mm. for people to respond to that. Mm. And people do. And I think we're definitely in the, the worshipping church at the moment moving towards, or in a time, where people who come to church really want to be in church because people who don't want to be there just don't come anymore, and that's fine. How do you participate in something if you're not actually vocalising yourself, if you're not walking yourself? How do you participate? And that's a skill, that's one, to attach yourself to something while listening, and listening being just such a key concept and word within the whole
3: monastic Benedictine world. The future of Benedictines in education? 250,000 students in the world in Benedictine schools, mostly in the developing world. We have a very strong presence in Asia and in Africa, but also in Australia and uh, North America. Europe is the lowest continent for Benedictine education, so it's good that we are here. We're one of the the, rare species in in, in Benedictine terms Mm. to have a school in Europe. There's a few in England, but beyond that, there's very, very few left in Europe. Benedictines and science. To improve processes and improve agriculture, improve viticulture, but the science has always had an aspect of beauty and the search for beauty and harmony. So there's been a number of Benedictine architects who've worked on churches and had correct proportions for chant. There's been a number of Benedictine artists, and we have a number in the community here of artists. So it's something that you would often find in a monastery. You would have either an iconographer or an artist or a musician, because the Benedictines align their science with the search for beauty and search for God through beauty. And as Brother Podrick mentioned there about the chant, art is another way of entering into the soul.
1: There are two theologies, as far as I can understand, it, and I'm in the midst of much better theologians than I am. But one Christian theology thinks of Christ, perhaps, as a little godkin of the Christians, who comes 2,000 years ago with a catechism in his hand and says, I'm going now, but I want you to have this off by heart by the time I come back. Now, the other theology which i think is a much more irish one at least more ancient irish one sees christ as not just the god of the christians but as lord of the universe and considers him in his pre-incarnational phase as the eternal wisdom of god manifesting himself not just in christian doctrine or even scriptures Mm. but throughout all creation the heavens proclaim the glory of god and the firmament shows forth the work of his hands
0: I think the huge step from training church choirs in Kerry to becoming a Benedictine monk. I think the huge moment was
2: that I realised it was always there, rather than a bolt like St Paul in this beautiful painting upstairs that knocked him over. For me, I think it was the realisation that what is here or what this place calls me to be or calls me to do was always part of my life. What I didn't know here was the place that I had to do it. And when it did, it became very, very clear that this was the place. the place I knew of and some of the people that I did know, it just became quite clear in the end, and it, in fact very easy to move from one to the other. It was kind of hard to say goodbye in a sense to that, that way of life. But yes, it, it was an easy move, in fact. We move
5: on.
4: The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.
5: In our walk around
0: the Benedictine Mm -hmm. Abbey at Glenstall and County Limerick, guided by monks Podic McIntyre, Anthony Keane and Luke McNamara, we're now up from the monastery reception between the church and the cloister to hear about the cloister and monastic life and the cloister gardens Padraig tell me about the two tables Benedict
2: was very practical in his writing he was writing for practical situations for very ordinary people on how they might live together and he uses a most profound yet simple concept and that is the table and most of his rule or his we'll call them recommendations for living together are based around the table and he, he divides it into two the table of the church the table where we are fed at the eucharist and the word of god and the table of the the refectory where we are fed at the table with bread and tea and whatever is needed and what's really really interesting to show his commitment to these places the only place that Benedict really talks about sanctions or excommunications that dreadful word to be out of communion with are at the table so misbehaving for Benedict coming late bad practice at either place Benedict sees as putting you outside of the community So he sees them as the central places where community happens in the community, gathered at the table of the Eucharist, as you would have experienced when you were visiting today, and gathering at the table in the refectory. It's where we learn our trade of being together as individuals, as unique individuals, yet having to live that life together that very simple concept of table. Something that many, many families, as we grew up in them, that's where we had to do a lot of the family stuff, was at table. And it's maybe a challenge to the society we live in today, the restoration of the table, maybe.
0: You here, the sanctuary in the church here, as you say, the entire focus is on the table. So often you look at sanctuary now in churches. They're cluttered places. There's an awful lot of stuff there.
2: Yeah, I mean, at one level, what are we trying to do when we gather? We'll call it in that church space. It's very, very simple. We are presenting ourselves to God and inviting God, who has invited us to be part of what we're doing there. A hallmark of a place like this is simple lines, simple structures. The communication then is simple. You're not getting diverted into all sorts of tangents. You're not left in any doubt about what's going on when you sit in the pew.
1: Anthony? The classic cloister was designed for Mediterranean climate, I think, with the great impluvium, the central open space. Well, big buildings do still want to let the light into the middle. So maybe the cloister garth or the garden in the middle is a way of letting light in to a big building. It certainly is wonderful. If you wish to understand the world, then, as John O'Donnell used to say, you shouldn't drill in different places, drill in one spot. And for us monks, I suppose, the cloister is at one spot. So this helps us to communicate with everyone. By having this quiet, this cloistered life cut away, it might seem, from the world, we do manage by God's grace very often, to get in touch with the central and vital reality of life.
0: Luke, the cloister gardens.
3: The typical cloister would have been built for purpose, but here we're in Glenstall, which was a hunting lodge for the Barrington family, and the part we live in is the old stable yard, so that has become a cloister. Happily, it was a square, or we've made it so, and in the middle, then, we have this garden, which is full of heathers and so on. And in the former times, they would have had very strong scented plants. And in the Mediterranean climate, with all the heat, you know, you'd have certain odours in the community. And all these plants was a natural eau de cologne for the community.
2: The chapter room is the place that monks come to meet to make decisions. We're a group of people who live together, 27 on the books in this place at the moment. We have to make decisions about how we live together. The rule, of course, lays out the great rainbow of general rules, how to live according to Benedict, and each house has its customaries and all of that. But we meet on a weekly basis in the chapter room. The entire community, what we might call our general meetings on a Monday night... And as you can imagine, the estate here alone, the school, the monastery, the woodlands, the farm space, there are constantly decisions have to be made, constantly discussions have to be made. And everybody has an opinion on everything, of course, out of which some sort of decisions have to be made. But I suppose there is another leveled into the chapter room, which is the meeting that takes place between all solemnly professed monks. So in a sense, the solemnly professed monk is the one who has married himself to this place to this way of life with this group of people till death do us part if I can put it like that So, some of the more important decisions, let's say around accepting new members into community, uh, particular votes for expenditure of large amounts of money, or particular developments that might need to be made, that happens among those who are solemnly professed to the place, as distinct from general discussions where
0: everybody has an opinion and a right to speak. Solemnly professed, I mean, is everybody not solemnly professed, all of the 27?
2: At the moment, they are. The most recent was solemnly professed on the Feast of the Transfiguration in August. But his journey to that point was that he would have come here on and off. He would have lived here maybe for two to three weeks or up to a month, maybe just experiencing the life, and then would have decided to come. And he would have lived as a novice. And at the end of the novitiate, he would have taken simple vows, a little bit like getting engaged. Somebody has made that commitment yeah. and that commitment of the engaged status then lasts in simple vows for three years at the end point of which you decide, in a sense, to marry the life, marry the people here.
0: So everybody has a say in all major decisions? They do. Look, when the Benedictines came here in 1927, the community worked in the... Uh, circus 1680 walled terraced garden to provide food
3: They also hunted rabbit because it, it wasn't a time of plenty for them or for the people around There was as well a number of local connections with Cahar and around the farmers would bring produce here and the monks would do tasks for them either from the arts and crafts school they would, they would fix implements or whatever so there was a bit of barter going on there as well mm. to support each other is there recreation in a monk's life here in Glenstone? From about
2: 10 to 8, after the wash-up has been done after supper, until about 8.30, just before Compline, many of the monks go to the common room. Uh, we still read papers here. Father Luke here and Father Anthony are avid pa- paper readers. Mm-hmm. Like, the paper is still king in the monastery here. Uh, so paper reading, discussion, chat banter, I have to say, 110, great game in the monastery here. Oh, yeah. Any newcomer coming, a lot is found out about newcomer playing 110. So that recreation is very important as well. A lot of our days are separate from one another. We're, we're with one another a lot at meals and a prayer and all of that, but you often don't get a chance to chat. So that is a kind of a very important part of the day as well.
0: The history of Irish monasticism,
1: the story. The return of the monks in 1830, namely our Cistercian brothers. When they came first of all to Kerry, Ratmore, Rathmore, course. they moved then to Mount Menoray, mm-hmm. where they got some 300, 400 acres of rather poor mountainy land. The monks pitched their tents in that place, and when they woke up the following morning after having arrived, it was absolutely foggy, as it often is on the Knockmill Downs, and they looked out into the mist where there was a faint light And they saw all these shadows moving around. And what had happened was that the men of Clonmel and other places had put their spades on their shoulders in very hard times to come up and drain the land. They were so delighted that this celebration of creation, which is monastic life, had returned once more to to be among them that they did a colossal job digging drains in impossible conditions and the monks have lived there ever since.
3: Shortly afterwards we had the famine in Ireland and Mellory had a trough which was filled with grain every day and it never ran out all through the famine so people who came to Mallory were able to get a bag of grain for their family. But where did would, the grain come from? People would donate it The farmers would donate it. The farmers, the grain farmers in the region would donate it to the monks and then the monks would redistribute to the poor. It was a big trough and it it never ran out all through the time of the famine. So it's still remembered very much in in the West Waterford, uh, East Cork and South Tipperary region. The monks had a way of persuading people and landowners because of where they'd come from themselves.
0: Some of the many facets of the Benedictine Abbey of Glenstall in Murrow County Limerick. Find out more on the website. Attend Mass in person or on the internet at 10 on Sundays and 10 minutes past 12 every other day. Join in the office, Matins and Lods at 6.35am, Vespers at 6pm and Compline at 8.35pm. Make a retreat. Special thanks to Father Luke McNamara who made all the arrangements and my other two guides, Glenstall monks, Father Anthony Keane and Brother Podrick McIntyre. On today's programme, Location Sound, Siobhan Lewis and Post-Production, Colette Foley. Let me have your take on the story, the, the scholarship and the challenge of Glenstall. For me, Frank Lewis, until the last Saturday in October the 28th when we'll hear eight aspects of the story of Killarney from a number of groups and individuals. Joe McGill will be back with you next Saturday. Thanks for your company. Francis Jones will be with you after the news. And now to end today's programme and take us to a break on the 11 o'clock news, the Glenstall monks sing Psalm 110.
5: Jerusalem, God be to be dominant otor, Concilio justorum e congregación herde. Magna opera miri, Exquisita en omnes. Concilio justorum e congregación et magnificencia, o Señor. Et justiciae ums manet in secolum secoli. Memoriam fecit mirabilium suorum misericos et miserum tollit Dominus. Espondebit timenti boce. in secolum testamenti suum. The Holy Spirit of faithfulness, be to the calling among others, and Ad teum veritate equitate. redemptionem misit populos suos. Manda vitam so. et illum testamentum suo Sancta mater ibi laetum Initiam sapientiae timor dominii. Intellectus bono omnibus, acce ante vos seos, galaxia veus, maletinus secorum secoli, gloria poetry and feeling, and spirit to he could Hat in
4: Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime.